I'm Terry McGuire, Connections Pastor at Parkway Fellowship's North Katy location. We pray that you are uplifted and encouraged by the truth of God's Word you are about to hear and apply it to your daily life. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at connections at parkwayfellowship.com. Good morning, everybody. Man, I tell you, there's mornings like this that I am so thankful for our hospitality ministry. The coffee this morning was a necessity. I mean, it is the first Sunday of spring break and daylight savings. Like, y'all know we have two other services later today, right? Y'all know there's a 10:15 and an 11:30 service. You know you could be sleeping right now. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I'm glad you're here. Like, I am overjoyed that you are here, but I just didn't know if you knew that. I, I mean, just whatever, whatever you want. So... No, I am glad that you're here, and it is a great, great morning. Uh, I tell you, for the past couple of weeks, we've been asking ourselves this question, what would Jesus undo? Not what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus undo? If he came back, what would Jesus want to undo in our lives? What would he want to undo in church? What, What would he say, hey, you guys missed it. We need to undo this thing. We need to rewind it a little bit. Before we specifically talk about what we're going to be discussing today of what Jesus would undo, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been so consumed by something that it begins to take a considerable portion of your attention? A lot of your thoughts, a lot of your time, a lot of your energy, maybe emotional space. You just begin to get so consumed that you think about it over and over and over again. Other people might say you're obsessing about it. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's like food or working out. And it is just so important, and it's consuming more and more and more of you. Maybe, and this one's close to home, maybe it's fantasy sports. You're continuously looking at it, editing, changing lineups. It's one of the first things that you pick up or think about. Uh, Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's finding another job, and you are continuously looking for another job. Maybe it's not your primary job, maybe it's this side job, this thing that you sell on the side and you're really passionate about it and it's all that you talk about and it's all that you think about. Maybe it's a new car, but not any car. You know the specific car. You know the specific car, the specific model. You've wanted this car for a long time. You have looked and you've searched. Maybe it's not that, maybe it's a new house. And you are always looking at like HAR.com for houses in the area that you're looking at that you could possibly move to because you've done enough projects at your current house, you're ready to start over again. You're one of those fixer-upper type of people. Maybe it's social media, who knows, it could be anything. But the bottom line is, have you been so consumed by it that you find it's taking up more and more and more of your life? Because when we reach that point, we become obsessive about something, then it often reaches that point of it's become this idol in our life, and when it becomes this idol, it's something that we worship. And now, just saying that, there's a little bit of uncomfortableness to it, because honestly, we don't even like to picture or think of ourselves as worshiping anything other than God. And so it's like, no, 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 that's not me. I would never be so consumed by something that I would obsess about it that it would become an idol that I would worship it. But I think if we stop and we're honest with ourselves, that we let things get a little bit out of control sometimes when it comes to our attention and it comes to our time 
and our energy and our thoughts. Jesus would want to undo hollow worship. Because anytime anything in our life has reached that status, it's become worship. And anything that we worship other than God, there is a hollow emptiness to it. So just so that we can all be on the same page, what is hollow worship? Let's just throw it all the way out there. Hollow worship happens whenever I prioritize anything over God. Anything over God. Now, I know that is really, really broad, but that's the idea. I mean, the very top number one on our priority list, that is what we worship. That is our drive. That is what we are focusing on. That is what we prioritize over everything else in life. And if anything is of a higher priority than God, then it's a hollow, emptiness worship to it. And it really does boil down to priorities. It really just puts, where do I prioritize God? Where is he in my life? And maybe it's not God's number one and something rivals it to become number one and now God's two. Maybe God's five. Maybe God's four. Maybe God is all the way down 10, 11, 12. I, I don't know. But when you think of how you prioritize your day, when you think of how you prioritize your to-do list, when you think of how you prioritize your time and your calendar and your finances, where is God in that thought process of prioritizing your life? Because if anything is higher than God, then you are worshiping that thing or that person more. And that is hollow worship. And Jesus would want to undo any aspect of it. If you've got your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. You can do it on your phone. You can look in your sermon notes. Um, but for those of you that have your Bible, while you're flipping to Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, let me kind of catch you up on where we are. Uh, Jesus has just been baptized by his cousin John. At Jesus' baptism, this really cool moment happens where the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And then God spoke through the heavens and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. This was the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the very first thing that Jesus did in his earthly ministry is he secluded himself and went off in solitude and spent 40 days in prayer and fasting. He headed out to the wilderness. And while he's been fasting for 40 days, right in the very end, Satan arises. Satan appears and begins to tempt Jesus. Now, this is the very last temptation that Satan gives, but I want us to take a look and dive down and really allow this to really spur our discussion and thought process on hollow worship. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Okay, first thing that often drives a lot of questions in this passage is, how's that even Satan's to give in the first place? I mean, how can Satan even give all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor to Jesus? Well, here's what you need to know. We live in a fallen, sinful world. Jesus returned so that he could redeem this world. Look, I think all of us can very honestly say, this is not the kingdom of heaven. This world is not the kingdom of heaven. 
if we had to say who reigns supreme in this world, this world is fallen, and this is the dominion of Satan. This is not the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came so that we could have a relationship with him now here on earth, and that when we die, we could spend eternity with him in heaven. And so, yes, Satan has the authority to give Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. But here's what Jesus knew. He would have all of them one day. All of the kingdoms of the world would one day be his. When he returns again and will claim everything as his own. And Satan and his power will be no more. Jesus will one day have all of the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. But what Jesus knew at that moment, to do that, he was going to have to suffer and die on the cross. That he was going to have to die for sin's penalty, for the ability to redeem what was lost. And so this is a really great temptation that Satan uses because here's the thing. Satan's saying, hey, look, I can give you all of this now and you can avoid the suffering. You can go without all of the suffering and all of the hardship, and you can have what eventually will be yours, basically. All you have to do is worship me. Satan is saying, hey, look, all you need to do is to move me higher up in your priority list. I need to be higher than God, your father. If you move me up to higher than God, your father, then you are bowing your knee and you're worshiping me. And if you will move me higher up, if you will obsess and be consumed and idolize and worship me, all of this will be yours. Can you imagine the emptiness and the hopelessness and the hollow worship that that would be? I mean, when we think of it, of like, why would Jesus ever do that? It doesn't even make sense. Well, it's very similar to any time that we move anything higher than God in our priority list. Any time we take that person that we're in relationship with and we move them higher than God, a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, maybe the desire to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. Anytime that moves up our priority list, the hollowness, the emptiness, the brokenness and the hopelessness of our worship rises to the top. You know, oftentimes this starts with basically what we, we like to call the greener grass syndrome. Where you see something and it's, it appears to be greener on the other side. And you begin to think, my life would be better if I only had that. Or if I only did that. When that happens in my life, that's when it's going to be great. And that next, and that image that we've just now created in our mind, all of a sudden becomes this idol that we have that we are now working towards. Uh, in the summers, all through college, I worked at a Christian sports camp called T-Bar-M. One of the camps that, uh, that I worked at was off of Lake Travis, and we had the hardest time keeping grass green. 
I mean, it's middle of the summers. It's the Texas Hill Country. But yet, at camp, we had fields, and you have to have fields to have camp, to where there's games, and you play, and you have activities and events on. We watered nonstop just to have a semblance of green grass. And so when the kids showed up, it was like, hey, we're going to play a football game here, and it's not in a dirt field. We have grass. And so we worked really, really hard to just have even a slight shade of green. Yet there was one field that was so green and it was so luscious, we had to mow it twice a week. And you would arrive and you would show up and it was right kind of in the front area where you pulled in and it was gorgeous. We didn't have any activities in it. And oftentimes, while we're having an activity on one field, the kids would always ask, hey, can we go play in that field instead? Like, that grass is a lot greener. It's a lot softer if we fall. We would say, here's what you don't know about that field. That's the septic field. (laughs) That's where the septic system of all of camp deposits its water. You want to go play in that? No, I'm good. You want to fall in that dirt? No, I'm good. It was awful for everything except producing green grass. But it really did create this moment of while you're in a field that is not very green, you look over and see a green field and you're like, I want to go play over there. That's where I want to go. But you have no idea that that's a septic field. Oftentimes, that's how prioritizing things over God begins. We see it. We feel that this should be a higher priority. It's this want. It's this desire. It begins to consume us, our time, our energy, our emotional space, and our attention. And when we eventually arrive there and we feel like all of my needs are going to be met, this is what I've been worshiping, we realize that it is a hollow, empty, hopeless, septic field. So how would Jesus undo hollow worship in our lives? How would that happen? What would take place in our lives so that Jesus could truly undo that? We can rid our lives of any hollow worship, and we can begin to step into a true and proper worship the way that Christ displays. So let's take a look at what Christ does to prevent himself from falling into hollow worship with Satan. Look in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Right in the very beginning, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. Do you think he said it like that, by the way? It means 40 days. The guy is starving. Satan is throwing everything at him. Hey, Satan, could you just leave me alone, please? I'm really tired. No. Like, I, I, in my mind, that's not the way it happened. That's not the way that my Jesus responded. Jesus responded, Away from me, Satan! He is so tired of it. There is this power. There is this, I do not want to even fall victim to even coming slightly close to hollow worship in my life. There is a hard rejection to this temptation. Not a little bit. A very strong rejection. Here's your first villain. Reject Satan's lie that life will be better when... We have to completely reject it in our lives. We can't even entertain it. 
Jesus didn't even spend time contemplating, thinking, mulling over all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. It was a quick rejection of my life would be better. I could have what I want sooner. He knew that there was an emptiness and a hollow and a hopelessness involved in it, and he rejected it. I'm sure you've been thinking, just as I have all week, about what in your life is a higher priority than God. What is it? What can you say? Maybe it's not a higher priority. What if you can truly say, hey, look, God is number one. Well, then let me ask you this. What rivals it? What continues to creep up? What is bumping up next to it? What is trying to pull your heart and your attention away from God and become that higher priority? So then how do you reject it? How do you reject it? I mean, look, what are the areas of my life that I am most tempted to offer hollow worship to? What are those areas that you're struggling with prioritizing? Let me tell you one of mine. I wish I could say, let me tell you my one. That would be really cool if I could say, here is the only and one thing that does. Let me just share one of them. It is this. It's my phone. This is a major temptation that rivals priority with God. And and here's why. For me, this is like a gateway drug right here. Because what I can access with just this, I can change my fantasy lineup and all of the different teams that I'm in. I can check all of my sports scores. I can check emails that are going through, texting, see what's happening. I can scroll through social media. Everything is kind of a gateway through this right here. Like if, you're, if you're at our house for a while, you will hear this phrase. Hey, has anybody seen my phone? Hey, has anybody seen my phone? And here's why. I don't necessarily need it, but it's not in my pocket. That's the truth. Hey, has anybody seen my phone? Do you know where it is? And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, dad, do you want me to call it? Please. And so then we've got like multiple phones that are calling my phone. And then like the kids are all over the house. And here's the other thing. I, my phone, it, it has so many notifications and texts and emails and phone calls that come through. I always have it on vibrate. And so you can never hear it. You just have this like very faint, like, and so like, you've got to be really close to it. And so we've got like this army of kids, which that's why we have so many kids. So it's easier for me to find my phone all over the house because I can't find my phone. And I don't necessarily even need it. It's just not in my pocket. There. That's mine. One of mine. Okay, fine. What's yours? Yeah, could it be social media? I see social media being one of the biggest problems of the greener grass syndrome in our society today because it is mindless scrolling. And here's the deal. People never put real pictures up. They always put fake pictures. They're always posed. They're always perfect. And you scroll through and you see something and you begin to think, my life would be better if I went there for dinner tonight or if I lived in that neighborhood 
or if I was in a relationship that is as happy as theirs. And you just scroll mindlessly through it. When I get caught in social media, after I've been in it you know, 10, 15 minutes, I often have the feeling of, well, that's 10 to 15 minutes I'll never get back in my life. It's true. And, and here's what's hard, is that oftentimes we will spend more time scrolling through the lives of others than allowing the Holy Spirit to work on our own lives. That's the truth. That is when that priority begins to take place and rival what God is doing in our life because of the greener grass, because of what we are participating in. And for me, it's my phone. I want you to look at right after uh, Jesus yells at Satan to get away, look at what he says in the second half of verse 10. He says, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's very interesting that Jesus would quote this. He's actually quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Exodus when the Israelites have left Egypt after being in slavery for 400 years and they're in the desert on their way to the promised land. And Jesus quotes this because he's quoting it because it's very important that they remember that the Israelites were leaving a culture where everything was worshipped. And they were moving into a culture, in a society, where God wanted them to worship one thing. They're moving from everything is worshipped in life to one thing is being worshipped. Look, i got to be honest with you. Tell me that this everything is worshipped does not sound like our culture today. It feels like everything is to be worshipped. And everything is to be the highest of priority. And if you're not worshipping what other people are worshipping, then there's something wrong with you. And there's this struggle for our time and attention. And so when Jesus quotes this, he is reminding them of the priority and place and position that God is to have in their life. And so we've talked about what hollow worship looks like. But what does true and proper worship look like? If we've talked about what it's not, then let's talk about what it is. Now, there's a really great trap that Satan is going and wanting us to fall into. Is that when we talk about worship, all we think of is right here, where I'm standing on Sunday mornings and singing. It's the most visible and focal thing for us. And so when we think of worship, this is what we think of, and that's a trap. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans and gives us this beautiful picture of what true and proper worship is. Look what it says in Romans 12, chapter 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, I want us to kind of break this verse down. Where does true and proper worship begin? True and proper worship starts with a view of God's mercy. We have to have God's mercy in plain view for true and proper worship to take place. What is God's mercy on us? In view of God's mercy, God withheld death and punishment and condemnation and guilt upon us for our sin. We are owed and deserved death and eternal separation from God. But yet God was merciful. 
and did not give us what we deserve, but instead sent his son. True and proper worship starts with an understanding of God's mercy in my life and in your life. We have to be thinking on a regular and continual basis, like I didn't get what I deserve. What I deserve is death and condemnation and guilt and eternal separation from God. But yet God was merciful. That's where it starts. With that in mind, two quick things that I want to pull out from the rest of this passage. Number one, what does true and proper worship look like? It looks like remembering God's mercy as it flows from a heart of gratitude. I specifically want to talk about the phrase living sacrifice. Normally when you sacrifice something, you kill it. There is death that's involved in the sacrifice. And so this is very different because Paul's talking about a living sacrifice. Well, a death sacrifice has already taken place. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ's death was the death sacrificed. Jesus already took care of that. Our sacrifice is now living in view of God's mercy. Because what we were owed and deserved was our death on the cross. Our death sacrifice on the cross would have paid our penalty. But yet in view of God's mercy, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, went through the cross. He died, and his death and his blood was the sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus rose again three days later in victory over sin and death. And when we put our hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we ask Jesus to forgive us all of our sins and to pledge our life to following him from this day forward in view of his mercy. And when we have this view of God's mercy, there is this attitude of gratitude that should overflow in your heart. Because here's what that fights. Part of the greener grass syndrome is that you feel like you're deserving or you feel like you're owed certain aspects. Because of what you've done, I am owed this or I deserve this. But yet when we have in view of God's mercy in mind, we realize, no, you don't. You don't. And when we have that right view, it prevents us from falling into hollow worship. And it truly instills a true and proper worship in our lives. Here's the second thing. When we look at this verse, true and proper worship is giving God my best. Giving God my best. Whenever you sacrifice something, you always brought your best. It's the way that it happened in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system. When something was to be sacrificed, you gave your best. Well, since we're not dealing with a death sacrifice here, we are to be living sacrifices. How do we be a living sacrifice? Well, we take the same values as a death sacrifice, and we just apply them to our lives. If in a death sacrifice you bring your best, then in a living sacrifice you bring your best. If you are a living sacrifice for God, he gets your best. Your best is what goes to God. Your best time, your best energy, your best thoughts, the best of every material aspect that you have, the best of all of you to God 
is your living sacrifice. The best of your talents, the best that you have to give, that's how you be a living sacrifice. The struggle is that we give God leftovers. Real quick, what does that look like? When you give somebody your leftovers? What if the only time I ever had for Robin, it was at the very end of the day, after I've spent all of my time and energy being pastor, friend, father, everything that I have to do, and it is the very last part of my day, tired and exhausted, I sit down and begin to have a conversation with her. It's my worst part of the day. If we have a conversation and I'm dozing in and out, it's hard for me to be paying attention. Or my leftovers to Robin are having a conversation with her while I'm looking at my phone, having that conversation. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what it means to give somebody your leftovers. But true and proper worship is giving God our best, undivided best our best time, our best efforts, our best talents. That's what it means. Look, here's the bottom line. God gave his best for you. Are you willing to give your best to him? God gave his best to you. Now, I do want to take a moment. True and proper worship is far more than just singing here. However, the purpose of song and worship is throughout all of scripture. Sing praises to the Lord and you find it in abundance. And so what's its role? This is your barometer. This is your test. This is your testing point of how you're doing of being a living sacrifice, living in view of God's mercy. Because if during the week, everything that you are doing is in true and proper worship, then when you arrive here together, cumulatively, all of us immediately join together in a heart and aspect of worship. Because God is number one in my life and in your life and cumulatively in all of our lives. If you arrive on a Sunday and you feel like, man, it took me like three songs to get into worship. That should tell you something. It should tell you that during the week, you're struggling with living in true and proper worship. That you're struggling with the greener grass syndrome. That you're struggling with living in view of God's mercy. This is where together we find out how are we doing in prioritizing God. This is so crucial and so important. Not only does it tell us how we're doing, but this jump starts our week. This gets our mind right of worshiping and saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do all this week. I'm going to sing and I am going to worship. And this is where it's starting because this is the first part of our week. The first thing, Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the first thing that we do, this is our best the best thing we do at the start of our week together is we worship. And so it lets us know how we're doing in life and it sets the tone for the rest of the week. So we're going to spend some time in worship. We're going to spend some time, just a couple of moments, and we're going to worship and we're going to sing. We're going to sing as a dedication to God of how we are going to live this week week.
So would you stand with me while I pray for you and for all of us that Jesus Christ can undo hollow worship in our lives? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and I say thank you, thank you, thank you for the beautiful picture that you give us in Matthew chapter 4. God, thank you, God, that you did not fall prey to the greener grass syndrome. Thank you that you understood completely what true and proper worship was. Thank you, God, that in view of God's mercy, you rejected Satan of a greater understanding of how great our God is. Lord, I ask that you would help us this week, God, that we would live as living sacrifices, that we would live in this, God, a desire to worship you in everything that we do. God, I pray that you would give us uh, the desire to worship you by rejecting the lies of Satan, that our life would be better when or if, or the grass is greener on the other side. God, I pray that you would give us the strength and ability to give you our best in everything, in every aspect of who we are. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we praise you. We thank you, God, and we worship you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining our weekly podcast from our Sunday experience. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at connections at parkwayfellowship.com. Have a blessed week.